Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. An intriguing collaboration was announced last week between Weinstefen and Jack's Abbey, a fest beer that will be released just in time for the autumn celebrations. The brewers are here for a conversation about tradition and modern brewing and creating a beer worthy of both breweries. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can find original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. Please visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. A few bucks goes a long way to keep the content fresh, and everything goes to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. If you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. If you plan on being in Colorado in a few weeks for the Great American Beer Festival, and you should, you need to check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. It happens on September 22nd and brings together 64 of America's best craft breweries, all for a great cause, the Pints for Prostates campaign. The beer list is incredible, packed with rare, exotic, and vintage beers you won't find anywhere else. These are legendary beers the breweries hold back just for the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. This is a bucket list event for both beer fans and for brewers. You can get a look at the beer list and find more information at pintsforprostates.org. All-inclusive tickets are just 200 bucks and include unlimited beer samples, a great buffet lunch, t-shirt, tasting glass, and a program. Money raised goes to the fight against prostate cancer, including a free health screening before the event. It's a simple blood test that checks for common health issues that might just save your life. That's the Denver Rare Beer Tasting, drinking beer and saving lives. Last week, Jack's Abbey, the Massachusetts-based lager brewery, announced that it would soon be releasing a collaboration with Weinstefen, the venerable German brewery. It's called Fest of Both Worlds, and it's brewed with Pilsner and Munich malts, along with Sterling and Adina hops, and fermented with Tum 3470, which Weinstefen shared for this beer. At nearly a thousand years old, Weinstefen is a brewery of legend around the world and through a commitment to technical brewing and education has helped countless brewers and drinkers better understand beer. This collaboration with Jack's Abbey is only the third time Weinstefen has collaborated with an American brewer. The beer will be available later this month in Massachusetts and in New York. My guests are Jack Hendler. He's the co-founder of Jack's Abbey and Matthias Ebner. He's the global brand ambassador for Weinstefen. They're here to talk about the collaboration and so much more. Here's our conversation. I feel like we're at this weird crossroads in American beer right now where there's so much local choice that some drinkers have forgotten about or put imported beer on the back burner and there's whole swaths of new generations of drinkers who just aren't even aware of um, some of the great beer that's available around the world but that also comes into the u.s and so um matthias i I, i'm not asking you to speak for your entire country um but as one of probably germany's most famous brewery um what's the state of beer in germany right now What, what what's happening on the ground where you are um well uh more or less it's a quite different development here in germany 
if you would maybe look at the past 20 years, then definitely then in the USA, we have here a more like slowing beer market, even going back a little bit. So we're basically losing volume all over Germany the last 20 years, more or less continuously. Um, the only category that is growing and growing strong about in the same time is non-alcoholic beers. So this is a, a really strong growing segment of the German beer industry. Um, and uh, yeah, so we have a very vital scene, of course, but um, also a very traditional scene, uh, which is, um, I would say, uh, yeah, um, doing actually pretty good. But of course, uh, we have some some um, developments, not just in the beer and alcohol business, although in uh, not although um, all over um, the the Europe or Germany or the society that is maybe um, giving um, or is maybe going into a direction where maybe beer or alcohol is less consumed and maybe compensated to non-alcoholic beers or non-alcoholic drinks. And uh, yeah, this is something we have to deal with. But um, on my point or, or the point of Wein Stefan, um, we are very um, um, optimistic when it comes to the future. Um, we have survived nearly a thousand years, do all the ups and downs that have been in the last um yeah, thousand years, yeah. and uh, we are always optimistic that um, yeah, we will find we will find a way to to work in that future market. Jack, I know I've had a lot of your loggers in the past, and I know your brewing background and the the reverence that you have for tradition, and then also the the fun side. Um, that you put forward with some of the other beers that the, that the brewery makes or Springdale has made, um, you know, where you're having some fun and you're getting out of the, the, the normal comfort zones. Um, there's so much attention, I think to, you know, what's new or what, what's different, but where do you see the importance of tradition in today's U S beer space? You know, that's a good question. Um, I think it there's two sides to that there's there's the ale side there's a lager side for us we only brew lager beer and certainly when you think about lager beer and how lager beer is developed uh you think of germany maybe czech republic um to get that inspiration and there's a reason a lot of these traditional methods are used they creates the beer that that you drink and so if we if you want to be inspired by the beers from these places, you also then need to bring in those processes into the brewery. So, you know, for us, we brew a lot of decocted beer. So decoction is part of our standard golden lager or house lager. It's a decocted beer. Um, we're using uh, 3470, or uh, it's a very common German lager yeast. We're doing cold fermentation. We're doing long lagering times. These are things that create a certain flavor profile in these beers. It's not necessarily the only way to make lager beer, but it certainly defines the, the character of our beer 
uh, through the choices that we make and how we process the beer. I guess when folks are coming through, are they interested in history tradition? Is it just about flavor these days? And, you know, the process is, is a nice byproduct, but as long as the beer tastes good, like, no, I, I feel that, like, they're, that's they're, yeah. like, you know, we've never been able to, I don't know if it's different in, Ger- in Germany, but certainly from our perspective, we have not in any way been able to really promote decoction brewing to consumers. <laughs> it's a really hard thing to explain and people don't really get what that means, but I do think they appreciate the finished product. So, you know, we do these things that are hard to explain and we're not going to get any credit for, but when they drink the beer and even though they don't understand how we made it, they can understand why we put in that effort. Yeah. Is there interest Matthias in, in the process, in the, in the tradition for the modern drinkers in Germany today? Um, hard to say. I, it, it, it really depends. It really depends um, on, on, and to whom you speak, um, there is a very small but uh, very um, educated scene, um, especially also those customers that are um, into the craft beer scene and more creative or more international beers here in Germany. Um, they definitely um, talk and, and take care of things like that. But on the other side, a lot of those traditional techniques that Czech were mentioning are... Um, when it especially comes to mid-sized breweries, so private-owned breweries or traditional breweries, they are basically common standard technologies that brewers are using to create that flavor profiles and that characteristics that what Czech was talking about. And so I guess the people are not um, thinking so much on that. And in my personal experience, I must say it was the people I had to do when I traveling the US and representing our brand is that People that are getting into beers and especially the craft beer scenery in the US is way much bigger than anywhere else in the world. Um, that those people are very, very educated in beer and brewing, and even decoction maybe is a very complex matter to to explain. But I guess there are in the US more people that I would uh, appreciate such a technique or understanding it and what brings it to beer and how to bring this characteristic to a beer um, i guess that there is a much bigger potential than maybe in germany where decoction maybe the people don't know what it really means in in the most perspective but um, they know that this is a traditional thing and a lot of breweries does it so it's it's a different kind of 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 um yeah um, perspective or level where we where we um viewing onto these markets and I personally must say I really appreciate what what Jack is doing because he's doing that so precisely when it comes to the to the Jack's Abbey beers. Um, I've now been a few times to the brewery and of course um, intensely uh, um, uh, made up my mind on on Jack's beers, but <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, yeah, um, they are very well made, very thought through. You know how how to put recipes together how to create recipes how to give time the beer it's time you know because even check we're mentioning a few techniques um i always say that one of the most important things the most important technique 
in brewing beer is being patient. Um, know to know that you um, need to 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 let the beer work because there are biochemical pathways that are going on while fermentation, while maturing the beer, while lagering the beer. Um, that you need to wait. You, if you want to to brew clean beers without any adjunctions or additional enzymes or whatever, um, you you just need to let nature work, and you can create a environment like with cold lagering or horizontal lager tanks and stuff like that. You can create with your process or with your equipment an environment where those natural biochemical um, processes can work and there you create a beer and in the end most of those things you just need to create this environment and let it happen but sometimes this takes time and patience and letting the beer you know um, and mature and let the taste create this is a value that maybe brewers forgot about due the pressure of output or you know whatever uh, other reasons there are um but most of the time the big secret is just be patient and let the beer get its time you know with with other um um beverages or foods you know nobody is thinking about oh great i have a scotch that is just matured a year uh, so uh, it's much quicker than the 14 year old so i can make 14 times the volume of scotch than whatever uh, i would make with a 14 year old matured whiskey you know um that's not the way it works a lager beer needs to lager that's why they're called lager beers and um so this most important value giving the beer its time is something that i saw in jack's abbey and uh, this is something i see in traditional breweries here in germany or in the czech republic and also see in in our brewery in Van Stefan. Just let let the things happen. Nature is doing it. Whenever I hear, it, 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 I mean, it makes so much sense talking about time and patience from a thousand year old brewery because you've had <laughs> uh, yes. that, that that ability, um, Jack. How how important is patience? for you and how frustrating can it be at times? It's critical. I mean, you can produce lager beer and you can produce very nice lager beer pretty quickly, depending on what you're trying to do. But, you know, it'd be tough to call a beer a Hellas or to call a beer uh, a Bach beer or to call a beer a Fest beer if you're just putting it out in two weeks. So, you know, all the beers that we brew here that we're going to call a traditional style of beer, it's got to get the corresponding amount of time in order for those flavors to mature. You know, one of those things I tell people on tours when they come here is like, look at this fermentation cellar we have here. And if we were to stop brewing the way we were brewing, we could produce twice the amount of beer if we were brewing, say, pale ale and IPA, because we wouldn't need to give the time. So the investment on our end is enormous, particularly as a small brewer, someone who's only been in business for 10 years, we have double the capital expenses because we believe that that's important for the beers that we brew. And you know, maybe we have a similar outlook uh, where I'm, I'm more worried about what people are gonna think about our beer in 10 years, 20 years, 
versus just trying to put more beer out today. So we're certainly taking a long-term approach, knowing that we need to make much larger investments, but we want the quality of beer to be what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a critical thing, like Chuck said, because, um, you know, you need maybe double or triple time the tanks than you would need maybe just producing ales because the beer is sitting much longer in, in their lagering tanks, you know. And, and when you just see the numbers, maybe from an uh, economical standpoint, you know, there you see, oh, I have one tank. And if I'm doing a pale ale, I could do a volume of maybe 500 barrels a year. And if I took the same tank and I produce lagers, I can only do 200 barrels a year with that tank, you know, and then you say, hey, uh, maybe let's produce another style of beer because there we can get more output. But um, this does not work with lager beers, you know, so you must commit to the time and you must commit to the equipment so that you need more tanks, you need more space and, and, and all these things. So that's that's the thing. If you want to brew lager beers in a precise German or Czech, I would say Czech um, uh, tradition, then you you need also to to commit to investments and commit to time. That's that's absolutely critical. You know, you know, particularly in the U.S., uh, you know, and, and the and it's changing is that, and it's very different from in Germany where lager beer is considered of the highest quality, but it's not necessarily always considered that way here in the U.S. Certainly, lager beer has had a bit of a uh, reputation, and certainly it's sort of known as industrial light lager here in the U.S. And part of what we're trying to do here is trying to show the value proposition of what really great lager beer can be, similar to how uh, it's regarded in Germany. I dig that. Um, I want to jump back to something that Matthias said early on about the growth of non-alcoholic uh, beers, because that's something that I know a lot of brewers are looking at and thinking about here in the U.S., which is a huge cultural shift, um, even in the last five or so years. And 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 Jack, I know you've um, played around with very low ABV. What was it, the two percent beer project that you had a couple years ago that I loved so much? Yeah, absolutely. The two percent beer project. Uh, it was something that was really interesting to us, where we were trying to get a feel for what sort of market there might be for uh, not necessarily non-alcoholic, but people who were concerned about alcohol consumption. You know, the challenge with non-alcoholic beer is that um, there's a lot of extra steps that are needed that investments that need to be made in order to create that. So the market needs to be there to make those investments. Uh, whether it's dealkalization or it's a pasteurization step in order to uh, make sure that the product is stable in the can or bottle. Um, definitely an interesting space um, and something that we certainly would like to look into. Um, but some of the challenges for a brewery of our size um, makes it a little bit more difficult to, to really get into the non-alcoholic space. Matthias, what's what's fueling the growth or the interest in Germany for the non-alcoholic? I, I, it, it seems like there's a easier acceptance mm -hmm. to consumers wanting to drink the beer than maybe there is in the U.S. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and there are a few points. There's not this just one reason. I think this developed over the last 20, 30 years a little bit. And um, there are numerous reasons why non-alcoholic beers is playing a big role in Germany. And it is the more or less only growing category of the last 20 years. So actually, we decided to make non-alcoholic beers in 1994. So it started as a, as a science project in 1994 and, and Professor Buck approached the brewery and, and brought this piece of technology into here and we started making non-alcoholic wheat beers. But this was um, just as a science idea and science project at that time. Um, over the years, it became bigger and also the non-alcoholic beers became a big selling point. And today... If you uh, look on the category, it's actually um, non-alcoholic beers, the number three position in our brewery. Wow. And, um, yes. And um, after the wheat beer and the lager beer, so after our Hefeweiss beer and our original premium lager, um, non-alcoholic is the number three. If you're putting export and national market together overall when it comes to the volume. So this is very interesting. And actually, nearly 30 years of experience working with a deacolization. Um, of course, we have a lot of experience, not just, you know, making it, but also, you know, fine tuning of the technology. And actually, this was our mission we had at that time. So the university were doing over years um, trials here in our brewery, um, fine tuning the installation, working on the technology, um, analyzing the beers and all that stuff. So um, this is um, uh, something where we really, really um, uh, profited out of our partnership with the university here um, as a state brewery. And uh, so this category, we, we really um, yeah, lift it over the last 30 years. But yeah, like um, uh, Jack said, it's not that easy making non-alcoholic beers. There are a few technologies. Is it biological uh, way to make a non-alcoholic beer or the physical way of making non-alcoholic beer? Um, and we decided to go with the, the physical way or more or less the university decided to go that way. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, but we are very, very happy with that, that we are came on board on that uh, trend so early. And then there are other factors here in Germany that brought that to to big thing. There is um, another brewery who, yeah, really invested into non-alcoholic beers like 20 years ago and made it a sports drink. So they said with their non-alcoholic, they sponsored, um, you know, here in the Alpine region, very popular, of course, skiers and ski jumping and biathlon and, and cross-country skiing. And, and they were sponsoring sports events and, and, and cycling and all that stuff because non-alcoholic beer, especially non-alcoholic wheat beer, um, is actually, if you, or beer, if you put out the alcohol, is a quite healthy drink and it's an isotonic drink. So for intense sports and workout, um, it's a perfect drink to refuel uh, what the body lost on, on minerals and vitamins on, on also on on, on, um, on calories uh, during an intense uh, sport or workout unit. Yeah. And um, so they advertised it that way and made out of non-alcoholic wheat beer uh, quite a, a sports drink. And uh, so this became very, very popular from soccer to, to yeah, winter sports. Uh -huh. And um, so then this became 
a thing. And um, after non-alcoholic beers became a very popular sports drink, I would say here in Germany, it's like the same, like a Gatorade in the US, you know? And I think it's more in a German tradition or more cultural background of Germany to drink a beer after a workout um, or a non-alcoholic beer because it's cultural closer to you than a soda or than to such a lemonade drink, you know? Yeah. And actually, in the end, it's also healthier because there are no artificial or no additional sugars into it. It's just a natural fermented grain-based non-alcoholic beverage, you know? And um, actually on that base, it's also a clean label product, which is also very popular today. The people want to see and to, to read or to understand what they're consuming, like organic food or like a clean label product are um, uh, uh, more and more popular these days because the people are uh, thinking about their nutrition, what they're eating and consuming. And the beer and also non-alcoholic beer produced on the basis of the Bavarian purity law is just mm -hmm. for ingredients. No other aromas, no coloring, nor no enzymes, no sugar, no nothing, you know? And so people have a clean label product that is naturally produced, where there's no alcohol in it, which is tasty. And when it comes to the taste of beer, it's very cult cultural, very close to them. And another factor is, of course, a society that is um, maybe getting older. So like my father, um, do some health reasons and his age, he does not drink uh, many, a lot of alcohol anymore. So he switched to non-alcoholic beers. So he still goes uh, uh, drinking beer, but then he just went from Hefeweiss beer to non-alcoholic Hefeweiss beer. Yeah. And um, do yeah health reasons to the, his his age, whatever. And a lot of elderly people here in Germany, um, yeah. So maybe the, their doctors say, oh, well, don't drink so much or don't drink any alcohol at all anymore. Yeah, okay. But they still can drink non-alcoholic beers. And so I guess there are a few factors of... Um, that comes from a cultural side, from from the society, from also an aging society that um, gives here in Germany a very fruitful base that non-alcoholic beers became that kind of important uh, uh, product and also business. Jack, when you hear that, do, do you think there's continued growth in the U.S. for that category? Yeah, absolutely. I think there, there's growth in that category. I don't know if it's going to be the same as in Germany. I, I don't know that uh, non-alcoholic beer will ever be considered an after sports drink, but uh, you know, who knows what, what it'll be like in 10 years. For, for me, the most interesting thing of this whole story, though, is sort of the how the school interacts with the brewery, because you think about this brewery that's the oldest in the world that has a thousand years of history, but on the flip side, they're sort of cutting edge and ahead of these trends. You know, they, they were in, they were doing research at, at school. So they got the brewery involved and it, it's very interesting just how, how many, uh, how, how the technology and how ahead of some of the, some of the curves the brewery is, considering how old, how old and traditional, traditional it is. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of cool to see how they're able to get, get out in front of something that that's coming from, from the students. Um, you know, from our perspective, part of this, 
part of this collaboration was we were able to actually bring in the yeast from Frising from the brewery, uh, which is a new product that they haven't really sold in the U.S. And we are we brewed this this beer with yeast that they uh, created the the protocol at the university uh, so that they could start shipping their yeast around the world. So when you get normally when you get 3470, sort of the most famous German lager yeast. You're not getting it from the actual source. Uh, and now we're able to actually brew with that yeast that comes from the university because of this uh, technology that they've been able to develop there. And, uh, you know, that that partnership between the students, the university and, and the brewery is just very interesting to me. All right. Well, you brought it up. So let's talk about this collaboration. Uh, Fest of both worlds. Uh, this is. A collaboration between the two breweries. Um, it's available in in certain markets um, as of the airing of this the, of this particular show. Um, but tell me about this beer. Sure. Uh, so this beer is a is a collaboration that we came up with based around the idea of a fest beer. Uh, the beer is called the Fest of Both Worlds. And it's bringing ideas both from, from both breweries to create a product that showcases things that are important to both of us. And we started our relationship, I don't know, it's many years ago now. And we've done a lot of events around Oktoberfest because it's both, for both of us, we have a very important product in Fest Beer or Oktoberfest. And we were doing events together. And so when we started talking about this collaboration, Festbeer absolutely made the most sense to, to brew together. Um, so I had mentioned earlier about decoction brewing and long lagering times. So we're bringing some of those really important processes into this, into this beer. So it's a decoction brew. Uh, it's fermented with the yeast from Frising. It is uh, lagered for two months in a horizontal lagering tank. It's using all imported German Pilsner malts and hops. And we are also, uh, sorry, not German hops, just the German <laughs> malts. I, I made a little uh, mistake there. All the hops are American hops though. And what we're doing is using a unique American process called cool pooling. So when we, tr when we are done boiling this beer, when we transferred it to the whirlpool, we cooled the beer down to about 175 degrees to add the hops. So by doing this process, we get a lot of the flavor of the hops without getting the bitterness of the hops. And so the beer will present slightly hoppy, fruity, but then finishes like a traditional fest beer, sweet and malty and sort of has that balance of both the American influence and the German influence. I get tripped up on this all the time where people talk about fest beer and then they talk about October fest beer. Um, is there, is that, is it, is there a difference? Um, well, not in the style. Um, it's October fest beer when it's brewed for Oktoberfest in Munich for one of the six from one of the six Munich uh, breweries that are on and allowed to be an Oktoberfest. And it's a re registered um, trademark. So 
you can only call it Oktoberfest here in Germany or in Europe when you are Oktoberfest beer. And that means it must come out of one of those six breweries and be put at Oktoberfest. And all the other Bavarian breweries that are doing a traditional Volksfest in their town, like we do it here in Freising, um, then are producing not a Oktoberfest beer, they're producing a Fest beer. And uh, this is originally produced for our Volksfest here in Freising, where we also have this big tent and, and an amusement park, and it's temporary, so it's for 10 days. It's in the early September weeks. And um, we're sharing that Volksfest with the other local brewery here. So five days we are pouring our beer and the other five days, the other local brewery. And um, what, yeah, is, what and is the other local brewery for those? It's who called Hofbrauhaus Freising, ah. which is, uh, um, yeah, it's not Hofbrau Munich. It's another Hofbrau. It's here in Freising. It's a local uh, a brewery here. And we're sharing this Volksfest together now for, uh, I don't know, since the Volksfest exists. So um, <laughs> the first Volksfest was 1875. And um, since uh, after the Second World War, it's it's held uh, every year, so uh, regularly every year. Before that, it was in a two or three year um, um, time uh, line. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, and and this is what we are brewing it for. But that's why we're calling it Fest beer. Maybe other would call it October Fest beer, but actually, it's forbidden. Okay. Yeah. But I think this this it's. No big deal. I mean, the fest beer style slash Oktoberfest style is that kind of 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 beer style that is brewed exactly for that kind of festival situation. Nearly any Bavarian town has, and you cannot imagine. Even the the village is very very small. They will have at least a weekend where they are celebrating. You know, yeah. and um, so the bigger the town gets, the bigger the Volksfest gets, and the Volksfest time goes from. Uh, May to to late October. Huh? It depends. Sometimes the Volksfest is held maybe in June because the local patron saint has their it's his or its weekend, you know, and then the people are celebrating the Volksfest there. In Freising, the Volksfest is um, in early September because it was used to be agricultural fair and festival. And it was in between the the grain harvest and at the beginning of the hop harvest, because right north of Rising and right north of the brewery, there's the so-called Hallertau, the world's biggest hop growing region. And so the Freising Volksfest marks the, the time in between the harvest of the grain season. So like wheat and barley and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the beginning of the hop harvesting season. And um, so it was actually a agricultural festival and agricultural fair where the people were celebrating there. I like that. Um, thank you for the clarification, because I'm always a little confused um, yeah. by that. Um, Jack, when you're putting this together and uh, started using 3470, but, you know, the the you know, the more pure strain or the um the new to you strain um did you notice any differences in the brew house we actually did notice a difference so we we put a lot of batches side by side to try to understand what the differences was and you know we're still in the early stages of identifying these issues we've only used the yeast now for since june uh so less than two months now so we're still working it through some of those questions to figure out the best way to use it, 
uh, what temperatures, how long to lager it, how it compares to our, our other yeast that we had been using. Um, and at this point, we've made a full switch over to this yeast because we have noticed a flavor profile change that we appreciate and think works well for our beers. What, what's that appreciation? What, 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 are the, what are the tasting notes that you get? You know, it, it's really, it, it's, it's subtle, right? Because you, you're still two yeast strains that are theoretically, de- through their DNA, are identical. Um, but through the yeast that we're getting, we're noticing just a brighter, cleaner beer. Um, we're getting a little bit of a less of some of the off flavors that you might develop. And we're just finding that the beers, when they're tested, we do a, a we have a, a sensory program here, the brewery and everyone needs to blind taste beers, uh, give a rating for them. And, uh, you know, so every week they're trying two or three beers and giving their feedback. We're finding that people are preferring those beers over the other beers, even when they can't necessarily explain why that is. So, uh, you know, I think it's too early to give a definitive, but I think we're just noted, we are able to see that change and appreciate some of the, some of the nuance to that strain. I like that. I I know there hasn't been too many um, American brewery collaborations that Weinstein's done uh, over the years. Uh, I I know there's been uh, two others maybe. Um, So, I imagine there's a lot of folks who would like to be doing this with you and you all are very, very selective. Um, When you go into a relationship like this to create a beer that's going to carry um, the brewery name, what do you look for? What, what do you want these beers to represent? Um, Actually all those former projects um, where nothing like uh, uh, we're looking for something, it it happened just, yeah, out of a situation. You know, um, the first collab was uh, with Sam Adams we ever did. It's now, uh, I would say, 15 years ago. So it was way before my time. I was a student here at the university in Weinstefan. So um, at this time, this collaboration thing well, in Germany here was basically brand new and and barely someone had heard about collaborations between two breweries. That was a, yeah, something that German brewers. Yeah. So as a brewing student, I haven't heard about collaborations before the projects ever before. And um, it was, this came out of the university because they were developing or doing some developings with some atoms at that point based on yeasts. And yeah, uh, I remember that beer. Yeah. yeah. And and then it came out that they created a special uh, strong beer yeast, which was uh, very, um, you know, high alcohol resistant and making very sparkling beer. And, and so, um, yeah. And uh, so some Adams and Wine Stefan got together. So I wasn't there. So as I said, I was a student back then. And, and so this connection came over the, the, the university over the yeast center and um so um they made the infinium together yes the other project was with um um, sierra nevada uh, in 2018 and there is the background story that our export director marcus englet which is my my boss my direct boss um went to australia to the great australian beer festival and our importer in australia 
the, the company and the, the owner is a good friend of Marcus too. He's now importing Wein Stefan also since nearly 20 years is also importing Sierra Nevada there and there Marcus and, and Ken Grossman met yeah, at this beer festival. And, yeah. and a few years later, the Sierra Nevada, uh, the, the, yeah, the Sierra Nevada collab happened also because they met each other. They then they met in the US again and then again in Australia. And so this things also created organically. And the same was with Jack and me when I was uh, the first time for business in, in Boston, um, our local um, uh, uh, partner, um, Tim, uh, who was working for the importer of Weinstefan in the United States, TBS, Total Beverage Solution from mm -hmm. Charleston. Um, he was like, hey, you're a brewer, you want to go visit a brewery? And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I never said no to this, you know? And so he brought me to Framingham and there I met Jack and Jack Savvy and the whole team. And yeah, we geeked out there a, a half a day, you know, showing around the brewery, talking about stuff. Tim said then to me, he didn't understand the word Jack and me were talking about, but, you know, the, the, the dudes seemed to be happy. So let it go, you know, uh, let them, let them. Uh, uh, have their 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 brewer talks, you know, and uh, then we did some events together. Uh, Jack already mentioned it. We did some some Oktoberfest events together. It was um, the idea was old world meets new world, you know, our fest beer and uh, Copper Legend next to it, you know, yeah, so that the people can can see to a classic interpretation and the new world interpretation. And actually, this old world, new world scheme or uh, idea worked in for a few years pretty great. So um, we did kind of a lot of events together with Czech Savvy. And so this whole kind of brewery friendship developed over over the, the years. Czech then was a few times here in Weinstefan. Um, also for the book Czech is writing, um, we, we, um, I helped him a little bit to get some connections for interviews, especially at the university. And, and yeah, and then we were sitting here together with our brewmaster, with Tobias and, and yeah, so this was all those little steps that ended up now in that, um, project in, in our fest beer. And as Jack said, yeah, it was one of the first connections we had together, this old world, new world event series where we had our fest beers together, but on the other side, also, I think celebrating a brewery friendship, a transatlantic brewery friendship like this, uh, needs to be also done with a fast beard that you can yeah <laughs> celebrate this yeah and um so um all this came together from one to the other so it just started out with two brewers meeting each other and and yeah but then not just deciding let's do a call it was more a thing that developed over the years because i will not say we are picky or selective in that but we you know um as you mentioned before john it's like um you know we can bring the patients to the table because we are nearly a thousand years old. So we don't rush anything, you know, we don't rush our beer making, but also we don't rush into projects like this. So we must need to know our partner and have a relationship and, 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 you know, a friendship actually. And, and all this was in the past at those projects. And this we found again with Czechs Abbey. And we are very happy about that actually, because, um, yeah, um, we we share the same values on quality, on 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 the approach of beer, of thinking beer, uh, of living beer, and um, also um, we see a lot of 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 us in Czech Abbey, but also, and I'm I'm 
uh, say this from my personal perspective. Um, also, some things that um, we we maybe also want to be a little bit because maybe a little bit more bold into trying new things or or you know new techniques and what as you know as as well so this brewery we are very into our traditional styles and interpretations and um, maybe this is uh, at collab or a project like this is for us a great great possibility to break out a little bit of that very traditional you know um uh, situation and trying new things like this uh, a cool pool hop edition or hop varieties that we yeah, would sterling never use and Adina. Yeah. yeah, because we're never so for our core lineup, we're only using Halatau hops because it's our hometown region. It's from Bavaria. We're a Bavarian state-owned brewery. Um, so of course we try to support our local farmers and use our local raw materials and local hops. Yes. But in projects like this, we want to go thinking outside the box, trying something new. And this was also one of the first things. I was, hey Jack, I want to use some American hops with that and something that's not that common, you know, not doing, I don't know, Cascade again. You know what I mean? Nothing yeah. against Cascade. Great hop. I love it. But, you know, it's, yeah, something maybe not so commonly known or, you know, maybe a, a hidden champion or whatever. And um, so this was, was then great for us because we could something do that we maybe not can do at home, you know? And um, so that this was the other um exciting thing about this project i like that um jack the the hops that 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 you picked then uh since it's not cascade sterling and adina um what did you like about that combination and what it brings to the beer or what you wanted it to bring to the beer and then how it wound up Sure. So we spent a bunch of time doing some research on different hop options and we knew we didn't want to go American IPA hops. We wanted to find something that was unique to the U.S., but also had some characteristics that may be considered noble or European. And we, we actually trialed a bunch of hops and sampled them in beer to really figure out what these hops brought to the beer. Uh, and then we, we settled on using Sterling and Adina. Both of them have some lineage back to European varieties and have some, I would say a hybrid flavor profile of both things that are more subtle and fairly fruity with in the American uh, context. So the, the hops do have a little bit of a pineapple or stone fruit note. And, you know, trying to explain the hop character of this beer, when you put the, this beer next to say Copper Legend or, or a Fest beer, it's gonna smell pretty darn hoppy in comparison. But if you compare this beer to a pale ale or an IPA, it's not going to taste particularly hoppy. So finding that balance where you get enough hop flavor, but it's still a fest beer in the end was sort of that challenge. Um, and it's why we chose to add the hops in the manner that we did and pick the hop varieties that we did. That's cool. Um, Matiz, have you had a chance to, to sample this yet? I know the beer is not going to be released until next week, but um have you had a chance to or at least experience some of these hops and get excited about that? Yes, of course. Um, uh, when I was in May um, in the US, uh, I also visited Boston and, and Czech and Czech's Abbey. 
And there, um, Jack prepared some some trial batches um, because uh, Jack's Abbey is also very well equipped with a, with a um, small batch system uh, where they can do smaller volumes to create and trial on new beers. Also, they have small horizontal lager tanks for all this. So it's a fantastic setup there and fantastic equipment. And uh, yeah, Jack did two batches um, uh, of, of our basic recipe and then tried out two different uh, the two different hops and we sampled them we we talked about them and then we uh, decided for um the hops and we uh also um you know made the last um um additions uh, on the recipe um i haven't had the final beer yet of course because it will be packaged uh, uh, in in the next week, but I will have it in September when I'm coming back to Massachusetts for the events. Nice uh, in Boston and and around, and um, I'm really, really excited. I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, we're talking so long about this thing, um, Jack and me, and 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 so actually, I can't wait to 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 um, uh, taste it and. Uh, yeah, so um yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that trip. It's gonna be something very special. Well, um I know you've just announced that this beer is coming out, but uh it'll be available starting uh towards the end of August, around the eighteenth or so. Uh only in Massachusetts and New York, Jack. Come on, man. Just where's the love for Jersey? Um I'm 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 brokenhearted by that. But uh uh, yeah, the beer will be out. Uh, Fest of both worlds. The uh, this this really cool collaboration, um, and obviously you're a whole you're doing a whole bunch of events. Um, Jacksabby.com has uh, all of the various details up there where people can go and hang out with you all and hang out with you both and and, and drink this beer. But um, thank you to you both for for taking time and for for sharing some insight on. The breweries and then this this pretty cool collaboration I, I i really appreciate the time yeah thank you very much and uh also thanks for having us and just one addition to the to the events um yeah. also there are we doing a kind of you know cultural crossover between american and german culture um we have selected for the sunday uh event uh, a classic you know beer früh shoppen which is uh, a sunday morning beer and music thing that's here in Bavaria standard. Um, it's more like a live music and beer breakfast thing with some sausages and drinking beer on the Sunday morning. And we found a German club close to Boston where we can help this. And uh, I'm very excited about doing uh, a Frühschoppen in, in, in Massachusetts. And uh, yeah, uh, my, def my Lederhosen will be uh, uh, definitely having a good time there as well as me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, thanks to you both, really. Okay, quick programming note. I will be at Jack's Abbey for a live audience recording of this show on August 17th at 6 p.m. It's going to feature a panel of Massachusetts brewers, and we'll even have some recipes out of the Craft Brewery Cookbook. That's the book I wrote that came out last year. It'll be for sale that day, and it's also still available wherever fine books are sold. 
So if you're in Massachusetts or in the general area, come join me on August 17th at Jack's Abbey in Framingham, Mass at 6 p.m. for a live audience recording of Drink Beer, Think Beer. And maybe we'll drink some Fest Beer. Are you looking forward to Fest Beers? Which ones do you want in your Stein this year? Tell me about it. My email is John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com or tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. All About Beer is on social media, Twitter, if it's still around, or X. We're on threads. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Just search All About Beer and you'll find us. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, and I really hope you are, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. A few bucks goes a long way to fund great content. If you plan on being in Colorado in a few weeks for the Great American Beer Festival, you need to check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. It's happening on September 22nd, and it brings together 64 of America's best craft breweries, all for a great cause, the Pints for Prostates campaign. The beer list is incredible. Packed with rare, exotic, and vintage beers you won't find anywhere else. These are legendary beers the breweries hold back just for the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. It's a bucket list event for both beer fans and for brewers. You can get a look at the beer list and find more information at pintsforprostates.org. All-inclusive tickets are just $200 and include unlimited beer samples, a great buffet lunch, t-shirt, tasting glass, and a program. Money raised goes to the fight against prostate cancer, including a free health screening before the event, a simple blood test that checks for common health issues that might just save your life. That's the Denver Rare Beer Tasting, drinking beer and saving lives. Excuse me. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer still has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.